Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm exhausted because we, yeah. uh, I know listeners saw it a few days ago, but we just did a three hour movie journal. As yeah. it happens when we take three weeks off of doing a movie journal, we got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, we need to be careful about that, especially once school starts, because <laughs> I don't know if I've got three hours to burn on a regular basis. Uh, There's 24 usable hours in every day. Um, Fair enough. Um, <laughs> anyway, so here's, you know, speaking of the movie journal, there's a bit of trivia that I just learned today that I forgot to bring up when we were talking about the post. Okay. Did you know that Ben Bradley mm-hmm. and his his wife, Sally Quinn, did you know they bought the Grey Gardens mansion from like the movie Grey Gardens? I, I did not. How would I? I, I only That's learned a weird thing to because know. Sally Quinn, who's still alive, sold it this week. Hmm. Isn't that weird that Ben Bradley lived in the Grey or I don't even I guess he lived in the Grey Gardens mansion. Who watches that that film and say like that I I think I found our dream home. Yeah, what is this real estate promotional documentary? Yeah, the only way to live in that house is if so, it's like it was left to you by an uncle, but you got to stay there a week beforehand because uh you know, it's it's said to be haunted. Yeah. Um okay. So I'm sorry, go on. Well, were you, you going to do ads already? Yes. No, we got, we got a top of the show thing to do. Oh, okay. Um, I forget. We do ads first when we have a guest, which we were supposed to today, but in so, uh, yeah. unfortunate circumstances caused that to not happen. Right, so which we'll kind of try to tie into our uh, topic today. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, that's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, but no, okay. Do you ever feel like, uh, like, Look, I don't care about this thing, but I'm opposed to something that happened on principle. Okay. Okay. I don't sure. I don't care about tomato meter scores. Okay. My opinion of a movie is or, or of a movie or, or or of whether or not to see a movie is not in any way swayed by the little percentage and the little, you know, tomato rotten or or fresh. I, yeah. I don't care. But I am on principle really bothered by what happened with the ladybird score. I don't know if you, I know you've like largely unplugged from a lot of stuff yes. lately. So ladybird was, had like set the record for being at a hundred percent after more reviews than any other movie. Yeah. Like it had been only positive views, positive reviews. And then someone came along because in most cases, the critic, when they submit their review in the little capsule, they choose whether or not it's fresh or rotten. Hmm. So this guy, well, I'll say his name, Cole Smithy, came along and wrote a positive review of Lady Bird, but marked it rotten. And when asked about it, said like he basically admitted he did it on purpose to ruin the score because he felt like the movie's good, but it wasn't good enough to be seen as perfect. And that bothers me on even though I don't care, I'm just on yeah. principle like that's fucking stupid. Like if you thought the movie was more fresh than rotten. Yeah. You, you mark it fresh. You don't take into consideration. Yeah. Like that's the existing reviews. Yeah. If you had written the, if he had written the review earlier and didn't know about that, it's at a hundred percent. Yes. You know? So yeah, that's, that's crap. Like that's not your job yeah. as a critic to take this larger thing into consideration. Was the movie good or bad? Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Again, I don't care, but just on principle, it really bothered me and made me think that Cole Smithy is a petty person. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Of course, you don't care because you and I don't care about the specific score. It's that's just an example of something that I'm sure critics probably do 
do actually do occasionally, which is uh, take things that aren't the movie into consideration. Now, of course, nobody sees a movie in a vacuum. You can't help but do that. So like if you take details of the director's life into account, I don't necessarily love that, but it's you can't really help it. But something like that, that's something that you choose whether you take it into account or not. Yeah. And whether it impacts the way you, you uh, approach the film. And yeah, that's, uh, I understand why that would bother you. It bothers me. Yeah. Uh, you may be thinking of something else, just, um, not taking, I'm so bad at taking the outside things into consideration. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I'm joking <laughs> calling it bad cause I don't want to, but many reviews of wonder wheel have pointed out that, it is a story in which a man romances both a woman and her stepdaughter. Yes. It's a Woody Allen movie in which that happens. Yeah. I saw the whole movie. It didn't occur to me once. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm so, I, I so like when the movie starts, I'm just, I, I, I pretty much just shut everything else off. I think that's admirable. I, I, I like that, but you know, it's, it's tough. Like when you watch, I'll be generous and I'll say like, if you watch the pianist by Uh Roman Polanski, um, knowing about like his family uh, in the Holocaust, then it's like, okay, well this is more personal, but he's not telling his own story. Like that must be really fascinating. Um, or if you just look at the details of his life and then look at his entire filmography and you just see like, okay, people that are alone and they're oppressed on all sides and they really can't get ahead. Okay. I could see him, feeling that way, certainly from, you know, his, with the Holocaust and then losing his wife to a group of people. Yeah. Uh, and then probably I'd say wrongly feeling persecuted by the world for this thing that he did. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think that, I think you can't really help it, but, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't think I condemn you for, yeah. for, uh, for not, not thinking. thinking about that. I said, in retrospect, sometimes I think about stuff like there's a scene in Braveheart where I think it's been a long time, but the King throws his son's gay lover out the window. Yeah. And I always thought, Oh, that's awful. What a cruel guy. And then like knowing what a, what an awful person Mel Gibson mm-hmm. is. I'm like, I wonder if he thinks that's as awful as I think it is. Oh, <laughs> some people, some people like laugh at that. Some people, uh, think that that is, think that that is played for laughs. Yeah. Um, yeah, that fits more in with the Mel Gibson we've come to know, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in forever. I don't know if it holds up. I saw it. I mean, I guess it was a while ago, but, uh, over more than one lesson, you know, we'd been going through the best pictures. And so I rewatched that one cause I hadn't seen it in a while and it's tough because on one hand it's very simple and it's narratively simple. It's thematically simple. Um, on the other, Mel Gibson is a very, very capable director and he can hold your attention and he can direct an action scene like nobody's business. And like, you know, the, (coughs) the man that directed Apocalypto, which is a film that I like a lot and I think is incredibly, uh, uh, gripping he did make, you know, and it's the same with Hacksaw Ridge. Like he is a very, he's a very good director, even if a lot of his ideas are very simple to the point of being simplistic, um, and maybe even occasionally, uh, offensive, but you could, he's not mediocre. Like he is, uh, what is that? It's, uh, 
<laughs> there's a South Park episode where uh, yeah, I think it's the Imagination Land one, I believe, where the military are calling various directors to get their take on something. And, uh, and M night Shyamalan is like, well, what if this happens? Like that's, that's just oh, right. a twist, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then, it, and then Mel Gibson is all crazy and stuff and, you know, tweaking his nipples and that sort of thing. But then he actually comes up with a really good idea and they're like, ah, it's like, he may be crazy, but the son of a bitch, no structure. And, uh, and I feel like that's kind of how I see him as a filmmaker is that like, there may be a lot of stuff I don't like about him, but I can't argue with that sequence. Sure. You know, yeah. it's, it's tough. The other thing, you know what I remember most about, um, Braveheart is the cinematography, which I had to look at. It was by John Toll. Mm-hmm. I like, especially like, even like, I think it's right at the beginning when you got Brennan Gleason and he finds like the young William Wallace alone and there's like the mists and everything. Yeah. It's very beautiful. And it felt like John Toll, like in the nineties was making like, I looked at it, it as like Legends of the Fall and like The Last Samurai and, and oh yeah like, and like sweeping vistas and stuff. yeah the Thin Red Line and then like he's still if you look at up his newer stuff he's still making beautiful movies but he seems to have like weirdly tipped into like I guess to use the word again weird stuff okay. like he's not the prestige director anymore he did or prestige cinematographer anymore he did uh, uh, like comedies like it's complicated he did the Adjustment Bureau. He did The Odd Life of Timothy Green, which is one of the worst movies of the past time. Oh, yeah. But then he did Cloud Atlas, Iron Man 3, Jupiter Ascending, Billy Lynn, Sense8. Like, he's still out there making movies that look great, but it felt like he was, like, the one of the prestige cinematographers of the 90s. Yeah. And I wonder if he just got bored with making, like, Oscar bait-type movies, or if something else happened. I don't know. It's weird how fortune... I mean, it doesn't mean fortune. It's just, like, paths change. And maybe it's... He just saw it as, like, you know, wanting to challenge himself more. Especially, I haven't seen Billy Lynn by most accounts. It's not very good, but certainly the way it was shot was new. Yeah. And so maybe that's something that appealed to him. Um, And something like Cloud Atlas, where you have all these different stories, which means you do have to... The camera work does have to be a little bit different. Certainly yeah. the lighting does uh, from one story to the next. So maybe after a certain point, it's like, all right, well, I've already done like these big epic things, which is enough of a challenge. So what What now? Oh, and in the case of something like Adjustment Bureau, it's not that great of a movie, but I could see there, having, there being a lot of challenges from a, a cinema cinematographical yeah. uh standpoint so yeah i could i could see that um that said I've been you fan. know braveheart is a is a is actually a pretty serviceable movie okay. that that is i think mel gibson also has very mainstream sensibilities and it's and that film really plays into it uh for good or ill um but as i was saying last year with beverly gray um thank you uh beverly once again for being on the show that yeah. um Apollo 13 like deserved to win picture and director in my opinion. And then it wasn't even nominated for director. Um, that movie I think is probably the genuinely the best movie of that year. All right. One last thing about John toll. I'm not sure where the current like cinephile, uh, uh, consensus is on vanilla sky, but I've been pro vanilla sky from the beginning. I remember liking it. Yeah. And I, it's the last good Cameron Crowe movie, which I think, you know, uh, I think a lot of people would say if they don't like Vanilla Sky, they'd say almost famous, but I've right. never been an almost famous fan. Uh, anyway, I should revisit Vanilla Sky. It's been a long time. I think I, so. Yeah. I really liked it. I remember just liking the audacity of it. And I know that's based on a, on another film, but they could have, you know, 
cleaned it up and sanded some of the rough edges off. But like, no, they just they make this a very challenging film and one that isn't always satisfying. I have a in the way that you want. I have a coworker who like if she's having computer problems will scream like well not like literally scream but pretend like fake yell tech support. And I'm like, I might be the only person who knows that that's a vanilla sky. I would not have known. (laughs) Like I saw the film 16 years ago now, I guess 17 at the end. Like he, when he like has had enough cause he's like in the coma, coma, whatever thing he screams tech support. And that's where, um, what's his name? Not Noah Wiley. Uh, Noah, uh, who is the, God damn it. The guy from Truman Show? I haven't seen. No, not Noah Emmerich. Okay. He's the, the, uh. Oh. Noah Taylor? Noah Taylor. That's Noah him. Taylor. Yeah. Australian Noah. Yes, the Australian. That's exactly right. Yeah. He shows up and they go up that elevator that goes a billion yeah. stories in the sky and then like Kurt Russell shows up. Yeah. A cool movie. There's a lot of good stuff in that movie. <laughs> yeah. And I remember liking that uh, Paul McCartney song as well. It was nominated I for best song that year. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's pay some bills. All right. I forgot that we uh, didn't already. Hang on. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline, currently available on Mubi is Eric Romero's A Tale of Winter, George Franju's, I'm going to be iffy on these names, sorry, uh, Spotlight on a Murderer, Jean-Luc Godard's uh, A Woman is a Woman, Ooh. and Charles uh, Pokel's Christmas. Again, there's a there's a comma there. Okay. Not Christmas again, it's Christmas again. Uh, an ode to the emotional nuances brought about by the wintry consumerist season. That sounded very interesting to me. Um, also available on movie is Ava... Uh, Leah Missius, again, names, sorry. Uh, beguiling exploration of female sexuality and teenage fear. Uh, it is described as a life-affirming, infectious blend of ravishing colors, whimsical humor, and the dreamy melancholy of a transformative summer. So that's just a few of the films that are available on Mubi. And there is uh, also a special offer for listeners in Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or you can just click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today, uh, I was listening to... Tyler, you should check this out. There's um, this album by uh, a woman named uh, Mary Beth D'Amico or Demico called um, Great and Solemn Wild. It was produced by one of the guys who works on the best show podcast slash radio show. Um, that's how I heard about it. And mm-hmm. he recorded this woman, these songs that she had written, uh, in her home, knowing that she was terminally, terminally ill. She has since passed away. Um, but you can find the, the, this beautiful album of just her playing the guitar and singing in her living room. Oh, that's uh, nice uh, online. And there's even like, there's, like there's a homey feel to it. Cause even like in between songs, you can hear her. like there's one song where she, I, I think tells, I, I think her daughter, like don't do the dishes right now. We're about to record a song. <laughs> it's, That's it's very sweet. The songs are very beautiful. Anyway, this isn't an ad for those. This is an ad for tweaked audio.com earbuds, which made, uh, this album sound 
sound terrific. Um, they're available at a low, low price uh, over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Tyler, let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. We had a guest lined up, yeah. and then due to uh, unfortunate, uh, uh, you know, unforeseen uh, circumstances, we wish him the best. Yes. Um, uh, he was not able to, to, to be here, so we had to scramble at the last minute, much like some of the filmmakers we're about to be talking about. Indeed. Because we are going to talk, this is in reference to our situation, but also inspired by the new Ridley Scott movie, All the Money in the World, which notably yeah. does not feature Kevin Spacey. Uh, all his scenes were completely reshot. I feel like, no, you haven't seen the movie no. yet. But, um, like, it was like nine days of production to reshoot, and given how much Christopher Plummer is in the movie, I wonder if other directors are looking at this guy like, dude, don't let them know we can make movies this quickly. <laughs> we don't yeah. want to all be rushed to do, you know, to shoot a third of the movie in, in a week and a half. <laughs> like, cause I, I was surprised, like I knew it was a supporting role. And so I was like, okay, so there's a handful of scenes out to reshoot, but it's actually a pretty big supporting role. Yeah. And so they had to shoot a lot of stuff in a lot of different setups, a lot of different locations and, and scenes. Based on what days. I saw in the trailer, it's like, cause when I heard that they were doing that, it's like, okay, well maybe he only really interacts with one person like in his office and just like based on the story, it's like, no, he's interacting with everybody. Like, how yeah. are they doing that? No, apparently Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg did fly to Rome to, wow. To participate in the reshoots. At the same time, yeah, if you're an actor, it's like, oh, I get to work with Christopher Plummer? All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah, I get to wash the memory of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> sure. <laughs> memory. Be like, I get to look at like a real face instead of this rubbery monstrosity in front of me? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's so, it's so stupid that they even had Kevin Spacey in the first place to yeah. play this older character because there's one flashback where he's, yeah, like Kevin Spacey. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it makes more sense to do it the Christopher Plummer way where most of the scenes, yeah. scenes he's not wearing. The only thing, the only thing my, my, my wife pointed out is like the flashback scene that's supposed to take place 25 years earlier with Christopher Plummer. It's just Christopher Plummer with his hair dyed black. It's yeah. not like it, he doesn't look like he's 25 years yeah. younger. Um, and I'm sure maybe hey, if what's they had going more on outside, Oh, occasional fireworks. Okay. That's fine. Let's hope so. Um, um, yeah. And maybe if they had more time, maybe they would have like digitally de-aged him as they do oh, sometimes, yeah. but yeah. they just didn't have the time. Um, so what we're going to talk about is I just Googled a couple lists that other people, so hats, hat tip to other people who put together such lists, but uh, cases, notable cases where actors have been cut out of movies. Absolutely. Um, and I'm learning about some from this list that I didn't know, like apparently Chris Cooper shot a scene for The Ring. Oh, okay. Um, in, in which uh, uh, he was a murderer being interviewed by Naomi Watts' character. Naomi Watts is a reporter in the movie, right? I believe so. I yeah. watched it again not that long ago. It holds up. The Ring is a good movie. 
Um, Gore Verbinski is a fascinating director. We should do a profile of him someday. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, and then here, here's one I did know about. I don't, do you, did you get a list? Or you just no, going, I'm just hey. going from my mind. Okay. Uh, one I did know about is um, uh, Ashley Judd was cut out of Metro Born Killers. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason I know is because this is going to make me sound, I, you know, I was a weirdo as a kid, a little mm. like monster, like a lot of uh, kids, you know, I've said this before, like the reason I liked the Punisher uh, as a comic was because I thought superheroes who didn't kill people were lame. So that's what kind of little psychopath I was. <laughs> um, so I, when I was in middle school, I got really into natural born killers. <laughs> Uh, so much so that I bought the novelization. Oh, wow. And the novelization was based on, you know, these, these things tend to be written early on. So the novelization yes. was based usually more, based on a screenplay they were, Yeah. They were based more on Quentin Tarantino's, Tarantino's original screenplay, which means the novelization of natural born killers has very little to do with the movie, Yeah, but it includes a scene where one of the, during the, um, during the trial of Mickey and Mallory in which Mickey is re- representing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the survivors testifies and then in front of the jury and the judge and God and everyone, Mickey kills her. Oh wow. And that was apparently Ashley Judd, uh, played that role and the scenes were actually shot. The scene was actually shot. So I didn't know about that one. Um, what else? What, uh, and I don't know if do you have anything to say about any of these? Uh, not particularly, um, but it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> like, so what else? I'm going to lead with one that's actually very uh, kind of sad. Um, it's just such a such a sad thing uh, when you're an actor and you put in a lot of work mm-hmm. to like craft a character, and then you know maybe they're right. Maybe the maybe the direct maybe your character actually isn't as necessary as they originally thought. And maybe it took all the way to the editing process to realize that, but it can be a real, a very sad thing. For example, Jonathan Brandis was in the film hearts war and had a notable supporting role in it and had a couple of really good scenes that were then cut out. Mm -hmm. His character was cut out completely and he was and the film you know did okay and he was you know he was a a young actor who was transitioning into being an adult and this would have been in his mind like a very a good stepping stone for that because he was he got a a a bit of a showcase Hmm. and he was cut out and he then killed himself um because he you, just, I mean, the two were related that he kind of, yeah. Like he, he based on reference. what friends have said, uh, that like he was so despondent over this thing. Like he was really clinging to this, you know? And it's like, and on one hand it's like, it's heart, it's heart's war. Who cares? But if you're in that situation, well, like that's the John Dahl, kind of, uh, movie. I thought that was the great raid. I actually oh, haven't seen okay. hearts wars with Bruce Willis. Oh, okay. Um, what year is that? 2000, 2001, I think maybe 2002. Wow. I thought Jonathan Brandis died earlier than that. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, you're right. So that was the great rate to the great rate. Okay. So that's, that's an instance where, you know, I, I won't fault the director for cutting him out because maybe he realized like we got to keep this thing moving. And my guess is any situation where it's like, Oh, we really showcase this character. It's like, that probably means, and if the character can be cut out completely, that probably means that you were stopping the action in order to showcase this mm-hmm. character. 
and so it's a sad thing, but you know, you gotta, you gotta do it. And, uh, in this case, it well, at had, least we got hearts war out of it. Exactly. It's the point you, you know. already made, but I yeah. decided to be more sarcastic. Indeed. Um, so that's, that a, that's a sad, sad instance. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's something we can talk about here more often is like why things, uh, were, were, were cut out. And the next one on this list, uh, is Harrison Ford in ET, which, um, mm. <laughs> makes sense to me because so much the movie takes place, uh, almost entirely from the kid's point of view. Right. And I guess the scene from what I understand kind of broke that and made, you know, it was, there was too much focus on Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, he was the principal at the, at the, at the school, oh, okay. at the elementary school or at the middle school, whatever it's supposed to be. Um, anyway. yeah, that would have stolen focus. Cause it'd be like, Hey, Harrison, you know, it's, right. ba- it's kind of bad enough that he's in apocalypse now for a moment. Um, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's something that I, I can't, I don't have anything to say about things that I didn't know about. I didn't know Paul Rudd was in bridesmaids, although it makes sense. Sure. Um, I'm surprised to learn that anything was cut out of bridesmaids. <laughs> um, much uh, less. It's like, Oh, you know what we got to get rid of Paul Rudd. <laughs> Cause what difference does he ever make in a movie? Um, look, I don't, I don't hate bridesmaids. Um, it's just too long, like way too many comedies in the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, do you think so in the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the movie journal, we were talking about how animated films are perhaps longer as a way of like potentially legitimizing themselves. Do you think comedies are the same? Like they've gotten longer around the same time that like the like drama comedy, like the Jed Apatow thing where it's like, well, this is about real people and we're going to see real emotions, but let's also have it be funny. And like, so let's really give it its time so it can be taken seriously. I don't think if he ever, he ever said that last part, but it does seem to coincide with a certain self seriousness. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to say about it. Okay. Um, Okay, here's another one I'm just reading about now I didn't know about. But this is sort of like <laughs> I'm realizing my age recently. Like when I went one last WonderCon, I was at the Riverdale panel. Okay. And I realized like, oh, I know these actors. They're playing the parents. Right, <laughs> yes, yes. I didn't realize I'm not a kid anymore. So apparently Uma Thurman was cut out of Savages, the Oliver Stone movie. Mm. And she shot scenes as Blake Lively's mother. I still think of Uma Thurman as Mia Wallace, uh, you know, yeah. and like the truth about cats and dogs and shit. Well, and, and then also like in her most notable vehicle, which is kill bill. Like she is a mother in that of a five year old. Yeah. If, if that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. You got another one? Yeah. So I will say that in this, uh, in my thinking, it's not merely cut out. It's also recast. And not okay, not recast, not necessarily like a Heath Ledger imaginary of Dr. Parnassus thing. He died. So it was necessary to do something. Oh, okay. Like if somebody is recast seemingly unnecessarily, and of course with Kevin Spacey, with uh, all the money in the world, it makes sense why he was recast, except his scenes were done. As far as the film itself, artistically, he didn't need to be recast. It was these external circumstances. Um, so I was going to mention Shrek. Chris okay. Farley did the vo- did the voice of Shrek, and clearly that track was laid down for years, and then he died, and f- and f- I'm sure he did a, a fine job. I don't think he did a Scottish accent. I think yeah, that's something that no. they wanted Mike Myers to do. But Makes I also sense. think, if I'm being a bit cynical, I think that maybe they're like, we could get a sequel out of this, so we should probably cast somebody that isn't dead. Um, 
in that part. And so, uh, so yeah, like they, there's an entire Chris Farley audio track as the voice of Shrek, um, that, uh, so he was essentially cut out of that movie and, and recast. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, uh, that's one of the ones that I thought of. Um, uh, okay. Here's, here's another one that was recast, not because of death, but because the movie shot so long and reshot so much that the ca- the actor, the original actor wasn't available. Okay. Um, and this is what I knew, but I'd forgotten about, but the Sidney Pollack role in eyes wide shut, oh, okay. was, uh, Harvey Keitel already shot apparently a bunch of scenes as that character. And then, cause you, I don't know if you remember, you and I were, I think probably this was a time when you and I were like budding cinephiles. Yeah. So the story of the eyes wide shut, shoot that went on for like a year yeah. and kept changing um was a big story at the time yes so at some point during that they needed to reshoot stuff harvey Keitel couldn't do it and so the role was recast with sydney pollock and i like harvey Keitel and all but i do think there is a very sp- i think sydney pollock as an on-screen presence is very specific like he's al- he's always a he's always well to do He's always very casually sinister, uh-huh. whether it be changing lanes or a civil action or, you know, uh, eyes wide shut. And even in something like Tootsie, he's not sinister, but he's like he's in fact, I guess he's kind of put upon. But, you know, he's he's still a guy making decisions. He's, you know, uh, the character's uh, agent and he still like pushes back against our, our lead. Um, that's just kind of who he is. Uh-huh. And and the fact that he is so at ease with the compromises he's made is something that I actually like a lot. And again, I'm sure Harvey Keitel would have done great things with that role, but I just, uh, unsurprisingly, I see Harvey Keitel as a very working class type, um, that I don't think fits that character. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. So I don't know, maybe that, uh, maybe it's a good thing, but again, I'm sure, uh, seeing seeing Harvey Keitel do such great work in youth yeah. in a character as a character that isn't really that like him anyway yeah. uh, or either I feel like oh yeah he's an actor I forget that actors can actually uh, be something other than what I think of them as and <laughs> right. I'm sure yeah. he would do f- a fine job yeah um, um, okay here's one that I knew about that I don't feel bad about at all especially having having so recently seen Tobey Maguire portrayed by Michael Sarah yeah. in uh, Molly's Game, even though it never says it's Tobey Maguire. That's right. uh, the general consensus, and also based on, I guess, in her book she names him. So oh, really? It's pretty. I think anyone who's read the book knows that that's Tobey Maguire. Anyway, uh, he was cut out of Life of Pi because. No, oh, I don't think I knew that. Oh, you didn't? Okay, so the whole uh, uh, bookend framework, like mm-hmm. framing device where the guy is coming to interview uh, yeah. Irfan Khan and it's, who's it? Rafe, Rafe Spall? Spall, I think. Yeah. Apparently that was all shot with Tobey Maguire. Wow. And <laughs> Angley decided, this is the story that he gave. Angley decided Tobey Maguire was too famous and was a distraction in the role. And he wanted to redo it with a, with a no name. I guess that's true because it would have taken it would have been like, here's the Tobey Maguire framing device with this other guy. But when it's two lesser known actors, it, t- it puts the focus rightfully on Irfan Khan. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. To most viewers, Irfan Khan would have also been a, not a known name. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but although he, if he had seen done, Life of Pi, who knows? Yeah. I mean, he had done, he was in <clears throat> Slumdog, right? 
By that time, yes, yes. And um, before that, he was in The Namesake, which I know no one saw, but it's, right. a, it's a really underrated yeah. movie. He's also I, a lot of fun in Jurassic World. Oh, I never saw that. I like I like him as an actor. I lot. do, too. Did you he, see um, he has Lunchbox? A lot of, I didn't. So good. Um, fun fact, anytime somebody references that movie, I will picture sack lunch from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Not on purpose. Yeah. It just happens. And Elaine's saying, like, what are they doing in that sack? I, I want to find out. Um, yeah. I think the namesake suffered from an error in marketing where they centered the marketing on Cal Penn and people sure. were like Kumar. Yeah. Yeah. Like in this serious movie, but like he's only like really the third Irfan Khan is kind of the main character. It just yeah. takes place over multiple generations and Cal Penn plays the grown version of the son. Who's like a child in the earlier parts. Oh, okay. He doesn't Cal Penn doesn't even show up to like two thirds of the way into the movie. Hmm. So it's kind of a, it's I guess the que- a mistake. I guess the even question the poster then was is, just like Cal Penn walking down the street. Yeah, and like with it, I feel like walking with his head down, like the Incredible, like uh, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you know, like Wait, which Incredible Hulk? Uh, I'm picturing actually the uh, the film, The Incredible Hulk, with Edward Norton, where oh, it's like his, he's walking down the street with his head down, like oh, poor Bruce Banner. I, th- I thought you were talking about the TV series where he's like on to another town, to kind of that. get into adventures. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, watch out! It's the namesake. <laughs> Come to smash up our car drug ring. <laughs> what if every like TV adaptation of a movie was just the fugitive slash Hulk like oh, framework, where it's just take this character and then they just go to a different town every week and oh. you know get involved in people's lives? I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> okay, what were we talking about? Um, oh, right, Toby McGuire. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I did want to, while I'm thinking of it, cause I didn't write it down and then we can get back to this. There is a character that I feel like should be, it's tough. I don't mean in this case, not cut out completely, but a good portion of it. Yeah. Laura Linney's character in mystic river. She okay. shows up in a scene there at the end, like one scene before the end. And she's been in it before that. But in this moment, like suddenly she just comes alive and she's fucking lady Macbeth, very obviously. Yeah. And it's a good performance and it's written. Well, I, I like, just like that scene. I know you hated it from the beginning. I, the scene Are itself you? is good. Okay. It just, it's the seconds. It's like the scene right before the end. And I'm pretty sure there's no real dialogue in the, at the, at the end. So her saying this stuff is, the as from a dialogue standpoint the note the film goes out on and it it's so strange to just elevate this character and so now the focus is on her not on any of the not on any of the leads i'd say like you can have that scene like keep it but move it like three scenes before that i'm okay with that Mm -hmm. but to put but like i would rather have it removed completely and i say that as a fan of laura linney and a fan of that scene I would rather have it not be there at all than be where it is. Cause it's so jarring. It's so distracting for me. Um, so yeah, I think her character should be reduced greatly because that scene is 90% of her character. Hmm. Um, that reminds me of someone who is mostly cut, but is technically still there. Our friend, Josh Fadum was cut out of the master. Yeah. You can see him in one scene, but apparently yeah. he had an actual like dialogue scene with Laura Dern. Nice. Um, but it's not in the movie. Uh, anyway, um, there's a lot of 
people in the thin red line whose characters were cut down considerably. Like yeah. George Clooney especially is like, it's weird. Like he shows up for one scene to give a speech and there's voiceover over the speech. Yeah. So, um, uh, but apparently, um, the main person who was cut out completely of the thin red line is Mickey Rourke. Oh, okay. Um, and then you joked before we started recording that this would be all about Terrence Malick movies because yeah. Rachel Weiss was cut out of to the wonder completely. Yeah. And I know that, um, Sean Penn, when he saw a uh, tree of life, mm-hmm. of course, of course he's in it, but you know, his character as tends to happen with Terrence Malick, like the scripts are much more straightforward and like with uh, slightly more traditional character arcs mm-hmm. and his character features in it much more. And then when you realize that he is basically some kind of weird fluid framing device, mm-hmm. who's just flashing back, uh, and that's all the character becomes. And it's all about his memories. Um, Sean Penn was apparently uh, displeased. Um, get over it, Sean Penn. I know. I mean, it's. I get it. He's not good at getting over things. Well, that's probably true. Um, He's still mad about Chris Rock disrespecting Jude Law. Oh boy, <laughs> well, aren't we all though? Um, but uh, <laughs> ugh. because, of course, the two had worked together on all the King's Men, one of the most derided films of the last 15 years. I forgot about that. I didn't even see that. Uh, neither did I. And I'm a, and it's my favorite book and I love the original. Yeah. I um, like the original. I never read the book. Oh, it's marvelous. I cannot speak highly enough of it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I get it. Like I said before, you know, you take the time to craft a character and maybe it's a character you loved playing and you feel like you did good work, but you also thought the character was really strong and that deserved to be recognized, not merely because you play him, but because it's an interesting character only to find that he's basically just left almost completely on the cutting room floor. I get, I do get that. That would be very frustrating. Um, you know, thankfully Sean Penn was well established by that time, as opposed to a Jonathan Brandis situation mm-hmm. who was trying to reestablish himself. Um, but I still get the frustration. Um, but at the same time, like if I'm an act and I guess Terrence Malick was, he kind of showed back up with tree of life. But I'd say at this point, if you get cast in a Terrence Malick film, like take it with a grain of salt. Cause you might not be in that final film. Um, but actors are just like thrilled to work with him. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure he provides them with a great deal of freedom. Yeah. But you're right. You gotta, you gotta know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Um, you know, um, uh, uh, back to sad ones. Um, the, uh, we talked about it, I think we talked about this in the movie journal. We talked about Bill Camp uh, being nominated for the night of John Turturro ended up winning mm-hmm. the Emmy for the night of, but that entire pilot episode was shot with James Gandolfini yeah. in the John Turturro role. And then it was, uh, he died and the mood, the pilot and they, I guess reshot yeah. all his scenes for the, I say pilot when it's a mini series, it's just the yeah. first installment. It's not really a pilot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sad. And that's one where it's like, it, I understand the necessity of it. You know, you're going to keep it going. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I will say, um, having recently watched, uh, aliens again, and then of course the making of on the still wonderful, I cannot speak highly of it enough, that wonderful Blu-ray set, uh-huh. um, which has a ton of great special features and the films have never looked better. Um, but, uh, so I remember knowing, I knew for a long time that the character of Hicks 
played by Michael Bean was originally a different actor, but it was kind of kept under wraps for a while. Like you didn't know who the other actor was and you didn't know why he was recast. Uh, and it has been revealed in the last several years that it was James Remar, who is an actor that has been around for a long time. Um, He's always good. He's, he's always good. He's a very dependable actor, and he has a very interesting screen presence. Like imagining him as Hicks is fascinating to me, because um, I think there's a, a gruffness to him that Michael Bean does not have, um, and I think Hicks is a very sympathetic character. And I'm sure James Remar would have had that anyway. But I feel like Hicks, because he's so soft spoken, mm-hmm. and now he's essentially he's in charge um, of the Marines, and so he works with Ripley. He just seems like he's a little bit out of his depth and he's reluctant to be in charge. Whereas somebody like James Remar, who has, I think a bit more of a, like I said, gruff and he's more of a con, uh, confident, uh, confidence on screen, not to imply Michael Bean isn't confident, but his on screen persona in that instance is not that. So I'd be interested to see if like, if Hicks would have come across as just like more of a gung ho leader. Um, but anyway, James Remar apparently, uh, had some major drug issues at the time oh. and, uh, was not, uh, very dependable. So, um, literally I believe, uh, Michael Bean got a call cause they were shooting in England. He got a call on Friday and said, is your passport in order? And he's like, uh, yeah. And they're like, okay, we got this part for you. And so he got called on Monday and he showed up, he got called on Friday, showed up on Monday, took all of he's and the way he says, he goes, I got his costume. I got his billing. I got his pay. Like literally they just plugged him right in. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, that reminds me, this isn't a drug problem thing, but, uh, who was the actor who Paul Dano replaced in there'll be blood. I'm not going to say nobody. That sounds mean, but someone I had not heard of and haven't heard and of have since. not heard of since weird. Yeah. And from what it sounds like, it was acting alongside the very intense Daniel day Lewis that got it. That just, he wasn't able to kind of hold his own. And I think he also didn't want to do this anymore. And it would appear that he went, that it drove him out of the industry. I know he's still done stuff, but like, you know, if he'd been able to like play that part, I think he would be a name we would, that we know. And then Paul Dano was already playing his brother. And so they're like, okay, we're making them twins. That's how it's going to work now. Yeah. Okay. Kel O'Neill. Kel O'Neill. Yes. Wow. Um, now there's a couple on, I'm on another list. There's a couple that I know about, but I've never seen the movie. Like, okay. um, famously Kevin Costner in the big chill. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things where technically he's still in the movie cause he's playing a corpse. Yes. But all of the flashback scenes that he was in. Yeah. have been cut out, which I think is a good call. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. It's a lot of people make fun of the movie because it's like, it's kind of sentimental and stuff. It's like, it's a bunch of college, uh, college friends that are adults now getting together after their friend has died and they're talking about old times. Yeah. It's going to get sentimental. <laughs> right. Um, and I think it's really well written, very well acted. And, uh, and I feel like if they had done flashbacks, I think, cause I really think it's an actor's showcase. And if, and I like the pressure being on those actors to recreate for us the memories, but not show it. It makes me want to see this movie. It's really good. Um, and then, uh, Jenna Malone was cut out of Batman versus Superman, uh, Dawn of justice. Good for her. I got the name right for the first time. Nice. I think. <laughs> yeah. Narrow escape. That's what I say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause she's been turning in a lot of good work lately and I'm sure she would be fine in that, but probably underutilized if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, uh, of Jenna Malone. Although, um, you know what? I guess she was pretty good in sucker punch. She was used pretty well in sucker punch. If I recall correctly. Um, um 
to the extent i mean yeah i don't i think that's a that movie's a disaster piece sure yeah <laughs> uh, i just i, mean, I, I just think, think of it as a an extremely dumb fascinating film yeah uh, and then, of course, the first one I thought of when we thought of this topic was Eric Stoltz and Back to the Future. That's, That's kind of the biggest one, I think. Yeah, because uh, that movie has become one of the hugest things ever, according yeah. to the internet, according to internet movie critics on yeah. Film School Rejects. It's one of the ten best movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's. I like it more than you do. I think it's actually a very, very solidly made film. Very interesting themes going on. Um, I like it quite a bit, but come on people, <laughs> let's, let's be adults here. Um, but the thing that I, uh, and I guess the, the reasoning I've always heard is that, um, Robert Zemeckis was pushing the movies to be funnier and sure. Eric Stoltz, while a good actor is not necessarily a comedic actor generally. Yeah. And Michael J. Fox, you know, he was, a, he was known at that time. He was on a noted TV comedy. And so, um, yeah, it's, it is fascinating to know, like, cause it's Eric Stoltz when has gone on to have a, a, a very notable career, but you know, it's, it's sort of like when you hear about Tom Selleck almost being Indiana yeah. Jones and he couldn't cause he was on Magnum PI. Well, Magnum PI was a big hit at the time and people know who Tom Selleck is, but wh- how different would his career be if he was Indiana Jones? That's three movies, maybe a fourth in 2008. And I think he would be, and he, he, is, he does just have a lot of on-screen charisma. Sure. Yeah. Big screen or small. And so like, I, I'm convinced that if he was Indiana Jones, he would have risen to that part. And I think, uh, he would be a star like a full on star. Um, but he wasn't actually, he wasn't officially cut out. It was just a, you know, what might've been situation. Yeah. Uh, the thing I always think about with the Eric Stoltz thing, and I'm sure I've talked about on the podcast before is on, on fringe in the, in the alternate universe, Eric Stoltz did star. In That's, Back great. To the Future. That's great. That's <laughs> great. Um, okay. I have no, there's no, I have no research to back this up. I just saw this on a list and I can't believe that Michelle Monaghan is apparently the queen of being cut out of things okay. because she was cut out of Syriana, unfaithful and Constantine. Apparently wow. there's no more details here than that. Just that, um, it, what are they again? Uh, Syriana. Okay. Unfaithful. Okay. The Adrian line movie that we, yeah. And Constantine. Does it say what? I don't know. No, I, I, I'd have to look it up more, but I don't really have time right now. Syrian is a big ensemble movie. I can absolutely understand somebody being removed from that and then not having a huge impact, but like unfaithful is pretty stripped down. Like what character yeah. did she play? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's fascinating. Okay. Um, that's unfortunate. I like her a lot. Uh, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I like her in gone baby gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I like her in uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think she's very good sure. in uh, Mission Impossible Three. Um, she just has a she, oh right. There's just a real toughness to her that I that I like. I feel like she she would have been a good like 1940s noir actress. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm at the oh I might have some more uh, uh, in, or some more uh, information here. I have one that's that nobody cares about, but it's something I knew about very much at the time, um, which is the film U571, which I believe, oddly enough, you referenced in the movie journal, or maybe just uh, maybe off mic, I don't recall. But um, uh, no, that was on the movie journal, yeah. So uh, John Bon Jovi is in that film. Uh-huh. 
and does a pretty good job and then just disappears. And apparently like the film was rated R and then they decided to trim it to PG 13, which meant cutting out a lot of violence and gore and his character dies apparently a very terrible death that would have made it rated R. And so they just don't have his death or the scenes preceding it. So his character about halfway through, cause, but they couldn't cut out his character out of these other scenes where he's with yeah. other people. And then, but just like, then he's just like, whew, just completely disappears. <laughs> and it's just, uh, and I felt kind of bad for him. I, yeah. I don't think it would have like made him make uh, a movie star or anything yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, it, but it, I want to see that R rated movie. Yeah. Just like I want to see the R rated galaxy quest. I so know. Bad. I know. But I don't even know if the effects are ever finished on the R rated. I guess galaxy not. Quest. But there's still that moment where you can see Sigourney Weaver clearly uh, say, fuck oh, that. Okay. So apparently Michelle Monaghan had one scene or an early turn opposite Richard Gere, according to screenrant.com and a small part with George Clooney, apparently in Constantine, it was a bigger part where he, where she was a demon who was romantically involved with John Constantine. And there were multiple scenes. Nice. Um, uh, that were, that were taken out. That's crazy. Hmm. Poor Michelle Monaghan. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's still, you know, she's still around. It's just, she could have been around a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. All right. I feel like I'm at the end of this list. This is yeah. fun. None are, uh, springing to mind, uh, at this point. Yeah. Let us know listeners if we're forgetting a, a major one. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are some that we're missing, but listeners, please note that, uh, this is a last minute, this is a last minute thing. Yeah. Look, we're no Ridley Scott. We can't just, uh, slap this thing together and have it be, uh, the masterpiece that, uh, all the money Oof. in the world clearly is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so you can find us at battleship That's where you can find my, my review of all the money in the world as well. As long as a bunch of other reviews, including my review of the aforementioned, the post mm-hmm. that's up there. Um, uh, so that's a battleship You can, uh, email me at David at battleship or email Tyler at Tyler at battleship You can follow me on Twitter at Davey pretension. You can follow Tyler at Tyler pretension. What's going on? Is more than one lesson still on hiatus, still on hiatus for okay. a while. Sorry, everybody. Um, but there's still I haven't gotten any emails website. about that, by the way. So part of me is like, all right, maybe I'll just, uh, <laughs> I know where I'm not welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure people are respecting your decision. That's fair enough. Um, and uh what else i'm trying to think what else is on the web there's so much right now um there are so many reviews on the website because everything comes out at the end of the year so like this week alone i I alone have reviews of downsizing the post hostels all the money in the world phantom thread and molly's game all on the website ian reviewed bright you want to see the uh uh, you know, apparently one of the worst movies of the year. Uh, I want to see a review of, of that. It's, it's up there. Ian's a good writer. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Um, and my review of last Jedi is there. Not that anybody cares because everyone's already seen it and formed their own opinion at this point, but, but, hey, but it's there. I mean, it did good numbers for a while there. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's a, uh, uh, West and musical notation looked at, uh, the aforementioned Cameron Crowe movie, um, or, Jeremy Maguire, the after the mentioned the movie by the aforementioned Cameron Crowe. There we go. We didn't talk about Jeremy Maguire, but it was also shot by John Dole, I believe. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, Alex wrote a piece uh, on what he calls nostalgia farming, yeah, uh, which is uh, 
um, fun getting some getting some looks um movie meltdown guys looked at uh remakes uh oh we posted something else that has gotten some attention we posted um uh our friend friend of the show and inexplicable fan favorite fan, <laughs> fan favorite jason eakin yeah end of the end of the episode i can't talk anymore we've been talking for four and a half hours that's true um friend of the show and inexplicable fan favorite jason eakin back in 2009 wrote a blog about his experience going to a midnight screening of the room mm-hmm. and so now with a new introduction about how he's thinking about this again after having seen the disaster artist we reposted his 2009 yeah. thoughts so you can sort of relive that first timer's experience of going to see the room back Indeed. before uh everyone everyone did it though he was wrong he did not see it with me he did see it with i think josh okay. long but i was not there i didn't see it until many years later uh but you did go to a sunset five uh midnight screening nope i watched it on dvd that's how i want to do it although i, I don't did, care about all the spoon throwing and uh, stuff i don't want to yeah that certainly is not how i was going to see it the first time sure um the first time i watched it with like five friends at home uh and then i did go out to a a riff an amc riff tracks of it uh that was that seems absolutely like, delightful that's not a bit of a hat on a hat <laughs> riff tracksing the room uh no because they just because uh, they're brilliant writers yeah. and i think uh, a lot of their stuff is very funny okay so that's all about us pretension uh thank you for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.